All right, fellas, come on, grab this thing. We'll get this thing out of the way. We're on our uh, true riches study still. All right, there we go. All right, true riches. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things the world considers to be riches, but that doesn't make them riches. Most of those are extremely temporal, and uh, we certainly are grateful as believers that we have riches that are eternal. Well, that's good. I'll tell you what, we're glad about that. We have something to look forward to, not just in this life, but in the next also. So, <clears throat> we're in the book of Psalm, chapter 23, and that's where we've been drawing all of our uh, message from and all of our lessons from. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a tremendous chapter in the Word of God that is. What a blessing it is to each and every one of us, obviously. And of course, we're coming off chapter 22 where we see evidence and a picture of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see so many wonderful truths here bound in this chapter as well. And again, as we consider true riches, we've been breaking this down and taking piece by piece and saying, well, okay, here's what it says. This is what it means. And boy, I'll tell you what, isn't that a great thing? And so we've been enjoying that, having a good time with it. And so true riches, we said, the Lord is my shepherd. We said, that's a relationship. I shall not want that supply. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We talked about that's rest. Well, we need the rest. I'll tell you what, I, I, I can't imagine not being able to find a place of rest. And then we said, he leadeth me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. And then we said also for his namesake, that's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we ended last week, that's testing. And we talked about that. We noted those things and just drew some conclusions and some attention to it. And today we want to continue, and we're going to do just that in just a moment with our study this evening. But before we do, let's have a very quick word of prayer. Father, again, I want to thank you for these that have made their way here to Community Baptist Temple. Lord, for each guest. Father, for every member, every person that comes faithfully each week, week in, week out, for the choir that lifted their voice for the special. Lord, what a tremendous special, what a great message, done very well. We thank you so much for that. We ask, Lord, that you just uh, uh, bless the piano playing along the way as, Father, we just had Melissa and Jen both playing. And, Lord, we're thankful, Father, for just the investment that people have made in this service already. Lord, tonight now, Father, it'll mean nothing if you don't show up and speak to our hearts through your word. We want you to do a miracle in our life. Lord, we face a world, Father, that is constantly uh, in, moving toward uh, godlessness. And Lord, it's not that people themselves are, are, are necessarily mean. It's just that they're not aware of you. And Lord, sometimes, Father, they forget that you've even created them, that, Father, that you are there to meet their needs. And Lord, we want to be good witnesses of how wonderful you are in our life so that they can see that there's so much, so much more to the, light, to, to the Christian life than they can ever imagine. Now, bless us tonight. May we, Father, be a, uh, encouraged from your word as we consider it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> tonight, we want to start with, I will fear no evil. And we say that's protection. Now, in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, 
And the Bible says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Now again, we talk about God, God's protection. We talk about God protecting us from death. But we're not talking about physical death, because the reality is we're all going to die. Why? Can somebody tell me why we're going to die? Just Can somebody, somebody tell me? You got a hand up? Because of sin, that's right. Uh, what's the Bible say there? That when Adam sinned, he brought sin into the world. Death by sin. So death passed upon all men for the law of sin. So we know that there's sin brings death. And so that's, that's a given. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, as the song was sung just a moment ago, before we close our eyes, we will, without doubt, die. That's, that's just a given. And the truth is, precious in the, eye, the eyes of the Lord are the death of His saints. So we know that God says, man, it's a precious time on my, from my account because you're in my presence now. So we know that death is a doorway to true life, which we, we know we receive the moment we're saved, yes. But it's almost like we step from this door into the presence of Christ himself. And so death itself is, is a doorway for us. But it says the valley of the shadow of death. We already read that in verse 4 of the cha chapter. So we know that, that it's, it's not the real thing, death. It's a shadow of death. When you physically die, you're not dying. You're actually just moving on to another element or another aspect of life itself. So death, we're talking about spiritual. We're not going to ever die spiritually. And to die spiritually, we know in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the what? Second death. So we know that there's one death physical. We know there's a second death spiritual. And that spiritual death is to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. Well, you and I never have to endure that. We never have to go through that. Why? Because we have his protection. Death. He protects us from death. But we had the sentence of death. We had it. We don't have it any longer. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer on our way to hell. We're no longer going to have to pay for our sin because he paid for it. Amen? And so we, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. And it says, who delivered us from so great a death. Man, if you're saved today, you've been delivered from so great a death. There's no way you can escape this death except you be delivered by the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He goes, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. So that means not only is he delivering us in the sense from death itself, physical, uh, spiritual death, but he also continues to deliver us. That's a wonderful truth. And so we'll see that in just a moment with some protection here. But in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Not only is he going to deliver us from the penalty of sin, uh, from the power of sin, but then one day from the very presence of sin. And so we're excited about that. And that's a good thing. So death. He protects us from death. Not only that, but he protects us from the devil. You know, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That means that, that, that he is... He's on the, the prowl. He's always seeking. He's searching to try to somehow destroy you, to devour you. And that word devour is interesting because it means to consume. You know, if, if that, that line devours you, he doesn't just kill you. He literally eats you piece by piece, digests you, devours you. And, and that's an interesting thing. The devil wants to devour you. He wants to gobble you up. He wants to totally and completely consume you. Boy, he's doing a good job of it in many cases, isn't he? Now, he uses a number of means, okay? The devil doesn't run around here with horns sticking out of his head and a pitchfork in his hand and go, all right, are you afraid of me now? 
All right, you're going to run from me now? All right, do you recognize me now? He doesn't do that. He shows himself, stand up, brother. He shows himself just as sharp and just as good looking and just as, as, as reliable and just as trustworthy as, as this young man. Turn around, let everybody see you. See? They keep turning around just like you're on the, the stage. You know, you're showing off a little bit. There you go. All right? Nine and a half. All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> but, I mean, you wouldn't know the difference between that young man right there and the devil himself. And somebody says, well, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, you can definitely tell when the devil's at work. No, you can't. No, no, you'd be surprised how many times you've been tricked, how many times I've been tricked. I mean, the wiles of the devil. He's, pretty, he's a pretty wily kind of guy. All right, now, I just want you to understand, again, that the devil, he wants to devour you. He wants to consume you. It's not enough to kill you. He wants to eat you up piece by piece. And you know what? Have you ever seen, have you ever seen an animal play with another animal? Like they'll injure it first and then they'll watch it kind of sprawl around the ground and kind of back and forth. And you think, why don't you just kill the thing? Why don't you just get done with it? Why don't you just, if you're going to eat it, eat it. You ever think something like that? And they just watch that little bird flop around there a while and they play with it. They hit it with their nose and they kick it around a while and they just watch it flop around. And some of you guys right now, some of you really tender-hearted people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's, uh. I know, but that's what they do. You ever seen animals do that? Well, guess what the devil wants to do with you? He doesn't want to just kill you. He wants to, he wants to cripple you first. He, he wants to put you in misery and then he wants to play with you a while before he finally ends it. And may I say that that's the kind of enemy that we have, and we need to be very aware of that, but God is here to protect us from that enemy. And the truth is, although he is a roaring lion, as it says, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 27 verse 1, David, of all, he would know this of anyone, seeing that he was being sought by Saul himself. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now listen, you don't have to be afraid if the Lord is the strength of your life. You don't have to be afraid if he's the strength of your life. But if he's not the strength of your life and you're trusting in your finances, you're trusting in your abilities, you're trusting in your, your family, you're trusting in your marriage, you're trusting in your, your uh, education, uh, well, you, you're really not that protected then. But if the Lord is your light and your salvation, whom shall I fit? The Lord is the strength of my life, David said. That's where I draw my strength. Man, you know, we talk about he is the vine, we are the branches. He's not just the vine in the sense that we're connected to him. Man, he is the soil, he is the sun, he is the rain, he is everything to the believer. And if you don't understand that and you haven't gotten a hold of that at all, then let me say something. You're probably fighting the devil in your own strength and you are going to lose. David says, I'm not even afraid. Why should I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. I don't have to be afraid. It's not me he's battling. It's the Lord. And that's where we have Christ. He is our safety. He's the one who brings us this, this, wonderful, this wonderful protection. So protection from death, protection from the devil, and even the protection from the deceitful. Boy, there are a lot of, a lot of false prophets. The Bible says in Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Sheep's clothing. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, it's interesting about sheep. Uh, you know, and, and I just, you know, when I think about sheep, and I've been doing a little studying on it, but you, you think about sheep, they got this real thick fur. You ever see a sheep before it gets sheared? You, you really can't even, you don't even ever see the sheep. You just see all that hair. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you know, uh, uh, shepherds, and, and as they go along, as they're checking their sheep, you know, they pass them under the, 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 the staff and all that stuff. They'll take that staff and they'll stick it down into the, the, the wool. And they'll kind of dig through there to see where, you know, where the sheep is, actually. And they may get down in there and pull that and run their, their hands against the back of that sheep to check that sheep to make sure that there's nothing wrong with the sheep because they can't really see the sheep. All they see is the, that hair. <clears throat> okay, and you know what? When you see that... Sometimes the devil, see, he's like that. He, he looks really like a little sheep or a little lamb. Very harmless. But he's deceptive. Very deceptive. And, and so you better beware of false prophets too. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Oh, they, they, they talk sweet. We love the pastor. We love him. He's such a blessing to us. He's such an encouragement to my family. And then all of a sudden, they're saying things about the program. They're saying things about the bus ministry. They're getting on things about the building. They're all bent out of shape about this and that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd that come from? But they got that sheep's clothing on. They look like they were really seriously un... Very un they, they were harmless. But boy, they're ripping, they're hurting, and they're tearing, and they're shredding up. Ravening wolves. You know, that's exactly what the false prophet is. He comes and says, oh, well, I love Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. He wears a white suit. He looks so pure and so harmless. But then he starts talking to you about the problems that things like, you know, well, you know, that repentance stuff. You know, really, you got to live a certain way to be saved. If you aren't living this way, then there's no way you could have ever gotten saved because you know that repentance means you've turned from your old ways. So therefore, if you're struggling with sin in your life, you couldn't be a child of God. You've got to get some things straight. Or, you know, if you're not a giver, then God's probably not really loved you as much. And, you know, or, or prosperity gospel. If you'll just give this, then God will be on your side. Well, what's that junk, man? Where do you find that stuff? I'm just saying, you know, you got to be careful. You know, that book, the Bible, it's pretty clear. I mean, the Bible's not that complicated. Sometimes we like to pretend it's complicated, but the truth is we probably just don't even know what it says. See, God says what he means and means what he says. The problem is we're trying to figure out what it means before we actually know what it says. Beware of those false prophets. They're going to come to you looking very harmless, look like a little sheep, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Second Corinthians says, well, that's no big deal. That shouldn't surprise you as a believer. Why? Because for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel. Why in the world wouldn't they look like the apostles of Christ? For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. If the devil can make himself look like Jesus, then why in the world couldn't his false prophets look like the apostles of Christ. And, and you know, you've got to be careful. You, you better be real careful of that. And you know what? He says, I'll protect you from that. I'll give you insight and wisdom. You try the spirits, whether they be of God. See, when someone tells you what they are, but then their life doesn't measure up to what they claim to be, you, you mark it down. You probably got yourself somebody that's lying to you. Listen, don't, don't tell me you love Jesus, but then you don't, serve, you don't, you don't follow his word. You don't keep his, if you love me, keep my commandments, he said. And then somebody says, but I love the Lord. I'm telling you, I'm all in. That's that new thing now, all in or something for the Cavaliers, right? Isn't that what it is, all in? There's something about, now even Kevin Love's all in. 
Some of you guys, you, if you don't know sports, forget it. But anyway, I, 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 it's a big joke. He's been all in the whole season. I don't understand what they're talking about. But anyway, they're, they're, you know, we're all in now, boy. We're all in. Win two games in the playoffs, and all of a sudden everybody's happy. Let them lose a few, and everybody will be going crazy. So, but nonetheless, I mean, you, you, you know, uh, I'm all in this thing with Jesus. I'm just all in. But you're not even obeying him. It doesn't work that way. And I'm just saying, we need to, you need to keep your eyes and ears open and watch because God says, I'll, I'll help you. you got, you're praying, you're seeking me, you're allowing the Spirit of God to work and move in your life. I'll, I'll reveal to you these things. I'll give you insights and understanding. I'll protect you from death. I'll protect you from the devil. I'll protect you from the deceitful. But you have to be close to him. Close to him. So anyway, we're very glad about the protection that God affords us and gives us. He goes on to say, for thou art with me. For thou art with me. It's kind of interesting, again, we see, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Isn't that good? Again, what did David say? He says, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, he had the Lord in his life. He, he, he had the presence of the Lord. And as a result of that, he said, man, I don't have to fear because you're with me. You're with me. Well, that's faithfulness. The fact that the Lord's with us is faithfulness. Aren't you glad he's with us? Yeah. That's good. It's faithful. I, you know, at the Alamo, <clears throat> there's a lot of guys that's stuck around. They're faithful. There's some that just left. I'm glad John Wayne didn't. <clears throat> what are you laughing about? He was there. I saw the movie. <clears throat> but there were some that left. Some that weren't faithful. The Lord's always there. He's with us always. Lamentation 322 through 23. It is the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. So the Lord's mercies. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that wonderful? And even as the, the Lord was with David, the psalmist, he's with you and I who are his children. Hebrews 13, 5, one of the tremendous passages in the Bible. Notice what it says. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now, I, I think that passage right there is pretty interesting already. There's a lot there. there there's really, uh, if you want to know the key to joy and happiness, really, uh, to some degree in the Christian life. Now, again, I, I say joy, of course, is the Lord. The, the Lord is our strength and all that. But... Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. You know why most Christians are miserable? Because they're not content. They're not content. Because they don't have what they think they deserve. They think they, they deserve so much more. And, and that's why they'll abandon the Lord sometimes. Because they think they deserve more than what they're getting while they're serving God. So I'm going to dismiss church. I'm going to get rid of this in my life. I'm going to do away with serving so that I can go out and do this, so that I can make the money I can make, so that I can have this because I feel I deserve it. You're not content. That contentment, that's the biggest thing. Now, now listen, I, I don't have a better problem with getting a good education. I have no problem with making good money. Not at all. As far as I'm concerned, if you can make 30000 why not make 300000 That's it. Not only give three, 30, not, now all of a sudden, you don't need 300000 to live, so now instead of just giving 10%, you can give 35% to the Lord. 
See, I have no problem making good money so I can serve God and, and provide for Him. By the way, that's the reason why He gives us jobs anyway. You think it's to provide for you and your family, but God's responsible to provide for that. He actually wants us to provide for His work. You, nobody, we don't talk about that much because preachers aren't allowed to say those things because then they're, they just want my money. Yeah, well, look at the uh, offering this week and see if I preach on money a lot when maybe, maybe I could preach on it a lot more than I do. We had $6,000 come in this, month, this week on, on offering, okay? So if you think that all I do care about is money, you're nuts because if that was the case, I'd be preaching on it every week around here. Okay, so that's certainly not the reason I pre I'm saying what I'm saying today. But the reality is, is that God wants us to support the house of God and the work of God. That's why he put us here. Listen, God could care less about me living in a nice house as much as he cares about my neighbor who's dying and going to hell. I'm just saying. I mean, let's just put it down where the rubber meets the road. Do you think God's as concerned about me driving a nice car, or is he more concerned about my family members getting saved? Or a city going to hell? I mean, is that really God's goal is to make me comfortable? Do you think that's what I'm here for so God can make me comfortable? He saved me to be comfortable when the whole world's dying and going to hell? I mean, think about that for a minute. So is that why God saved you, so that you could be comfortable while the world dies and goes to hell? No, he did not save us to be comfortable, although he often makes us comfortable. He saved us so that we can reach a world with the gospel. And that doesn't happen on pocket change, by the way. These missionaries that are going overseas, what the missionary to India say? I'll need more money once we get there. I don't know why he needs more money. It seems ridiculous to me that he needs more money. As far as I'm concerned, he has plenty of money. Oh, wait, did I really say that? But isn't that how we are when it comes to money and the work of God? Sometimes we think, well, they got enough money. That's enough for them. And maybe it is enough. I don't know if he's being greedy. I don't know if he legitimately needs it. I don't know the situation. I haven't heard. But let me tell you this. If he's going to reach India with the gospel, it will cost a lot of money. I know that much. I don't know how much, but I know it's going to cost a lot more probably than what he's got in his pocket. So I guess he might as well pray and beg God for it. <laughs> Let your conversation be without covetousness. I want what others have. And be content with such things as ye have. What I have is enough. Well, you get there, you're, you're content. When your wife's enough, you don't need something else, you don't think you deserve something better, you're happy in your marriage. When your husband's enough, and you don't think you deserve more, you're good in your marriage. When your kid's not perfect, no kid is because they don't have perfect parents, but your kid's good enough and they're all right and sure they're, they make their mistakes and they're not the smartest kid in the world, they might not be a genius. And by the way, I haven't really met a whole lot of genius kids, although every parent thinks their kid is a genius. You ever notice that? Every kid, every parent's kid is the strong-willed kid and every parent's kid is the genius. And every parent's kid that plays sports is going to go to the NFL. You ever notice stuff like that? It's funny, isn't it? I used to tell my kids all the time, you ain't going to the NBA and you ain't going to the NFL. <laughs> and you say, well, that's why they didn't, because you told them they wouldn't. I, I don't know. They weren't big enough. Are you kidding me? You've got to be bigger than 5'10 or whatever it is. Well, you tell me, who's, in, who's what? In, 5'10 in the NFL? Are you kidding me? You'd be murdered, son. I'm sparing you some. I'm, I'm helping you out, brother. Man, these kids don't realize I'm protecting them. <laughs> if I couldn't make it, you won't either. No. Okay. So anyway, now we're getting to the real bottom line, aren't we? Bitterness. Poor bitterness. Be content, brother. Be content. Oh, but anyway. 
he says, why, why is this the case? Why, what does he say? He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Because I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, be content with what you have. Let that be, is that enough, he says? That's enough. That I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So be content with what things you have. And by the way, let your conversation be without covetousness because I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'm enough. That's what the Lord's saying. Is he enough? And let's, let's just be honest. Sometimes he doesn't seem like enough. What, 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 did you just say that, preacher? You're supposed to be a man of God. I'm human. There are times that the Lord hasn't seemed like enough to me in my life. When I was a little younger, I thought maybe he wasn't enough. Maybe I sought things the wrong way. Maybe you sought some things the wrong way. Pursued things the wrong way. Because instead of him being enough, we needed something else. But he says, man, I'm enough. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, be content with what you have. It's enough. Therefore, let your conversation be without covetousness. It's enough. That's faithfulness. His presence in our life is enough. If we had never received one other thing from the Lord, but the fact that he's with us always. That... that is supposed to be enough according to the passage. That alone. I love the passage, or the, the, should I say this uh, poem or whatever they call it that's called Footprints. Um, my mom likes it, and, and, and I, I basically, I think I might have read it since she had it years ago. But it says, one night I dreamed, I, I think, Josh, were you preaching or teaching somewhere? What was that? You just used this recently, didn't you? For what? When did you do it? Oh, that's right. Okay, I remember now. One night I dreamed I was walking along a beach with the Lord. Scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was only one. During the lowest times of my life, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said, Lord, you promised me that you'd walk with me always. Why, when I've needed you the most, would you leave me? The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and would never leave you. The times when you've seen only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Well, that's something, that's faithfulness of the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, the truth is, is that I look across my life, and if I'll be honest, I haven't taken one step. He's carried me the whole way because I wouldn't make it otherwise. I wouldn't even make it. I'm always in a desperate need around here. God's got your back, see? God's got your back. I like that. When I was a teenager, you know, we get ourselves into some, well, they, as they would say on, on the um, sandlot, get into a pickle. And we used to get into a pickle maybe. And it was always nice to know that you, someone had your back. Amen? I had three brothers, and, and of course... Uh, you know, so my dad and the four of us, that's five of us, and um, uh, boy, I tell you what, you know, one of you gets into a mess, you know, you got somebody that's got your back, amen? And that was always good, having a bunch of brothers, that was nice, see? You know, you had somebody go to bat for you. But uh, it's a blessing when we consider that God created us, um, that God converted us. Those are all wonderful things. But it's even more amazing that God communes with us, that he would allow us to have intimate relationship with him. A constant communion. That, that's, that is beyond comprehension. The fact that the God of heaven 
honestly cares about what I think and what I feel. That, that to me is amazing. Totally amazing. <clears throat> he goes, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We just come off the fact that he says that the Lord is faithful. He's faithful. But now, look, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's correction in our life. And, and again, the rod in biblical times, it was a two or four foot stick, pretty much straight, often had a kind of a head on the end of it slightly. They would wear it in their belt often. But um, it was used as a weapon, a tool, if you will, to provide safety for the flock. If a wolf or some other animal or some kind of other person came along to try to harm or hurt the, 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 the sheep, boy, that rod would come out, and boy, I'll tell you what, they'd use it. But also they used it as an instrument of discipline and correction. A way, when a wayward sheep would go away, they would utilize it to get them back into the fold. The rod provided defense and discipline. But then we talk about the staff. The staff provided direction. The staff, of course, is uh, often, you know, you kind of see it. We've, we've often noticed it, like with this little round thing on the end, you know. And what they would do sometimes is they would cr- catch that sheep around the neck and kind of pull it back in and cause it to go the right direction. Maybe just, as it says here, you know, um, just kind of lovingly redirect the sheep, correct the sheep to some degree, the direction they're going, reroute them, so to speak. And so basically that rod and that staff brought some direction. It brought correction. And uh, we're thankful for that. We need that in our life. And there's great comfort and safety. Uh, You know, when you feel safe, man, that's a wonderful thing. But maybe in your life you've not felt safe. And you know how stressful that can be and how difficult that is. And, you know, and, and let me just say this. Um, if, you've, if you've always felt safe in your life, you can't for one moment imagine what people go through that don't. You really can't. Um, um, it, it, it is all consuming when you're fearful. When there's fear in your life, when you're afraid, fear is something that will, it, it, it ruins life. It is a cloud of, of a dark cloud that just never goes away. And, and you, if you, you live with fear or the uh, concern of, of being whatever, you know, you don't feel safe. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's tough. And, and as you come across people that are broken, hurting, and in need, have compassion for people. Many times they're just afraid. They're fearful. And they don't feel safe. But, you know, there is great comfort and safety. And in our case... We know that God is protecting, He's directing, He's correcting us for our own good even. He's doing all of these things. And like our children, it's interesting, our children are glad to be protected. They like to feel safe, you know, and that's a good thing. Um, But sometimes kids aren't real excited about being directed or corrected. Okay, they're glad to be protected. Oh, you know, make sure I'm safe, nothing, no harm comes to me. But why do you always got to tell me, you you know, why can't you just let me go to that party? Why can't you let me make that decision? Why can't you allow me some freedom? Why don't you give me, don't you trust me? It's not that I don't trust you. I just don't trust the other 6.9.9999 billion people on the earth. You know, that kind of thing. But but children, they're all right. But boy, sometimes they don't like being directed. Now, I I, I don't, you can't go there today because we're going here. Why? I want to do this. I want to do that. They don't like that. You know what? We don't like it sometimes. You know, we're all good about God protect me, be with my family, keep us safe from harm. When's the last time you said, and Lord, correct me, discipline me if I need it. Oh, God, 
put me in face dirt, face down in the dirt if necessary. God, please. You ever say that? I don't know if I prayed that a whole lot. You know, Lord, I, I really want to go out with that girl or I really want to be with that guy. But Lord, I don't want to be with him if you don't want me with him. Oh, God, make it easy to understand. I won't go out till you tell me to go out, not just that you haven't told me not to go out. And that's how we usually do things. God hasn't told me not to do it. What's the problem? Has God told you to do it? Well, I mean, he hasn't told me not to. That's how most Christians approach every situation in their life. You know, well, did God tell you to, did God tell you to go out with that girl? Well, no, but he didn't tell me not to. Did God tell you to take that job? Well, no, but he didn't tell me not to. And it did pay more. That's usually what we're saying. And again, uh, God wants to direct us. We sometimes don't give God enough time. Uh, let, me, let me ask you something. If I had one of those uh, shepherd staffs, had a little hook on it, you know, kind of like the gong show. Remember that? How many of you remember the gong show? And they start doing some crazy acts, and next thing you know, they go, boom. And then eventually they take that long hook Pull them right off stage, right? Remember how they do that? Yeah, I, used to, I, I watched some of the gong show. Yeah, I did, yeah. Now, think about it. If I had one of those shepherd's staffs, okay, and I wanted to direct you, I'd take that staff, stick it around your neck, I'd pull you around. You'd be like, wow, that wouldn't be very comfortable. Let me, the question I have for you is this, though. Would you know you were being directed or guided? There wouldn't be no doubt about it, right? He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? Because they bring me guidance. The next time you make a decision, make sure you know you're being guided. Not just that there is no guidance either way. There's a big difference. You will know, if you're sincere, that is, you will know if the Lord's really guiding you. And in most cases, you're better to be still and know that I'm God. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Most problems we get ourselves into as believers because we're not patient and we do not wait. We make decisions based on our perceived needs instead of God's direction and leadership. So direction, correction. As we think about correction, Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 10, uh, 12, 10 through 11. For they barely, for a few days, chasten us after their own pleasure. Talking about worldly parents. But he for our profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Let me just make this, let me say this. There are times I corrected my kids with the thought. Here's my thought process. If I'll take the time to correct them now, I won't have to correct them later. And if I, if I train them now, I won't be embarrassed later. Okay? Now, now I, okay. You know, someone says, well, that's not the reason why your kids should obey. Well, let me tell you something. You do it the way you want, but I didn't want my kids embarrassing me out in public. When we sat down to eat out of the public restaurant, I wanted those kids to stay in their seat, and I didn't want them to move until I told them it was time to move. I, don't, I want to be able to talk to people without being interrupted. Okay? Now, listen, I don't think that's asking too much of kids. As a matter of fact, I found that kids actually will do what you, you expect of them and require of demand of them. But the fact is, is that to some degree, if you really want to get down to it, that's a little bit selfish, maybe. That's still a little bit about me, right? God never chastens us, corrects us, because of Him. He does it all for us. 
It's always for us. Every bit of it's for us. Now, I, I try to keep that in mind when I discipline my kids. I really try to always do it just simply because I know this is what's best for them in the end. But there were times that I thought, man, I don't want my kid making me look like a fool. I like to go in the store and people saying, wow, those kids are so well behaved. Instead of going to the store and going, ugh. <laughs> you know, the other day I was at a restaurant. And there was two couples there. There was this lady. Well, no, it was out at the Sonic. There was this guy. And the kids did pretty good once they sat down. But they were going crazy, running around all outside. And it was outside, but they were going crazy and screaming. Ah! I mean, literally. And then this other lady, she had two little boys. Now, I don't know if she was a single mom or what, but she was there by herself with these two boys. Man, those boys were so respectful. They were such sharp-looking young fellas. Did such a good job. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. All that stuff. Boy, she got up, get ready to leave. I said, excuse me, man. She looked at me like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I said, I just want you to know, your kids are so respectful. You're doing such a fabulous job with those boys. She was like, whoa, kind of taken back. Don't you like to hear those things? But sometimes that can be prideful, can't it? Not God, but he for our profit. He for our profit. Not after his own pleasure, he for our profit. That we might be partakers of his what? Why does God chasten us or correct us? So that we can partakers of his what? Holiness. Are you holy? Because if you're not, guess what you can look forward to? Isn't that what it's saying? We got ourselves a little rough road to hoe until we get with God's program of holiness. And you know what? We're all in the same boat. We're all struggling. We're all in need of this. But he's doing it for our own good. Now, no chastening for the present seem of joyous, that's for sure. But grievous, without doubt. Nevertheless, after it, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What role does discipline play in the home? Excuse me, what role does discipline in the home play in our response to God's discipline in our lives? Can somebody tell me that? Can somebody, with a raised hand, I don't want to just burden it out. What role does discipline in the home play in our response to God's discipline in our lives? Does anybody have an idea? What's it? Yeah, in the back. Okay, without a doubt, it does. Without a doubt, you're preparing them, you're training them. Without a doubt, yeah. Okay. Okay, absolutely. Without a doubt. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. That's for sure. What role does discipline in the home play in our response to God? So you were disciplined. If you were disciplined in your home, how did that affect your response to God's discipline in your life? Go ahead. Okay, so if you, you're saying if you learned authority or submission to authority in the home, then you're, you're more likely to demonstrate submission and authority to God. Okay, and all the rest of that stuff that was said was true as well. It all goes together, but that, that's the reality. Now watch this. If we fail to discipline or to correct our children, direct, correct, as God has intended us to, then guess what? They're going to have a harder time dealing with God's discipline in their life. And, and they're going to grow bitter toward God instead of better 
toward God. See, so it's important that we train up our children in the way they should go. It's important that we correct them as necessary, as we even discipline them as necessary. We have train up a child classes around here. Why? We want our children to understand and learn how to, to obey. Why? Because ultimately the goal is that they obey God. It's not just that they obey us. Because, see, in the end, if they don't learn to obey God, they're going to be a mess in life, and they're going to pay the ultimate consequence of even going to hell potentially. So the, the, it, you as a parent, or if you, uh, even as a grandparent, are in charge of the discipline of children, it's important that you follow through with corrective, you know, correction and discipline because how they learn to obey in your home to human authority will go a long ways to, depending, to determining how they're going to respond to godly authority. That's the big issue. And so what we have in our culture is we have a culture where discipline's not very important and, you know, you don't want to break their poor little spirits in their, their, their you know, all this stuff. You know, we're so worried. It, we, we got, I've had somebody that's working at a daycare tell me the other day that they said they're not even allowed to say no to the kids. Can't you say no to children anymore? Can't, even, can't just go, no. You can't say no to kids anymore in, in that environment. Why, why, why would that be the case? That doesn't even make sense, does it? Well, you don't want to hurt their little psyche, see? Now, that, that there's something wrong with that. And, and let's face it, not, I don't want to go here, but you're not allowed to call them boys or girls anymore either, by the way. Because, you know, you don't want to make them become a boy or a girl just because you decide that. We'll let them decide what they want to be. Isn't that crazy? But anyway... You're not, allowed, you're not allowed to say no to kids. Why is that? Because it's going to scar them for life, they say. Now, most of you are scarred for life. It's obvious. <laughs> I know I am. But it's not just It's not because I heard no growing up. Are you kidding me? If I'm scarred, it certainly isn't that. But you know what? We're, teaching our, we're not teaching our kids how to obey God down the road. There's no authority in life anymore. That's crazy, isn't it? So anyway, Proverbs 13, 24. He that spared his rod... Hated the son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. Now, I want to ask the question as we close. What does this verse say? What does the verse say? I didn't ask you what does it mean. What does the verse say? Can somebody tell me what it says? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Okay, so show your love to your children, correct them. Okay, what, what does it say? And, and, and it, that, that's kind of what it means. What does it actually say right there? Oh. So if you fail, if you spare the rod, if you don't chase your children, then you hate your kid, your child. The, but he that loveth them chasteneth them be times. That's showing the love. That's the side of it right there. But what's it really say? It says if you don't, now watch, if you spare the rod even. It's not just even sit in a corner. No, we're not talking about sitting in corners now. We're talking about sparing rods. Okay, we know what the rod does. I felt the wrath of the rod. (laughs) But it's saying, by the way, (laughs) every child child that's that's 18 and under, put your hands over yours right now. Over, over years, if you're 18 and under, 18 and under, you just cover your ears. Don't even listen to this for a second. What we're telling our kids, if we don't spank them, I'm telling you, if we don't spank them, 
we don't love them. That's what the Bible says. It says you hate them. Okay, you take your hands off yours, kids. You say, why 18? Because, trust me, my 18-year-olds have gotten that before. Now listen, he that spare, you say, oh, that's heartless and ruthless. No, I love them. I didn't have to do it a whole lot, let me tell you. I could point out a couple of them that needed it, though. <sighs> no, I'm sorry. Josh was already sitting up. He's like, yes, sir. No, I'm <laughs> It wasn't that much, trust me. But anyway, it, it was always there, though. Do you love your child? If you love your child, what will you do then? Whoa, whoa, you won't just correct them. You'll use the rod. See, this is what I... See, what we try to do, we start, change, we start saying, well, this is what it means. Now, I just want to know, what's the Bible say? Because, see, that's where we get into trouble in our Christian lives. We start to determine what God means when he says what he says to us instead of what does he say to us. You know, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the man our son is. And we go, well, this is what it really means. Now, what, what does it say? But could anybody tell me what it says? Because really what it says is what he means. When he says, he says, uh, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Well, well, this is what he means. No, but what does he say? You get where I'm going with that. And this is one of those same things. And today in our culture where we have this, this you know, psycho- psychological type of thing going all the time. Everybody's a psychologist. We, we know what that really means, right? Because it can't mean what it says because the kids would be, grow up to be like really spiteful and hateful and mean and they'd be abusers. Really? That's funny. I, I didn't turn into an abuser and I was abused. I mean, I was... <laughs> but that's what the world thinks. You abused your child because you spanked them. Are you kidding me? Come on crazy. Anyway, I, I don't need to get in the debate about that. Obviously, everybody in the room knows how that works. But, I mean, we're preaching to the choir today. But, but still, that's, be, be careful. What does this verse say? So, suffer the pain of discipline or suffer the pain of regret. Now, again, that's used a lot of times for working out. But I thought it was appropriate for this. If you fail to discipline your children, you will be the one that regrets it as a parent. I promise you that. More than that child, even you will. It's a horrible thing to watch our children. You know, it's tough. No matter how good you've tried, how much you've worked at it, it's tough to watch them flounder in the world. So anyway, that's what we have today. That's what we've looked at. A lot of good things as we consider true riches. The protection of God, the presence of God, all of those things, the direction of God, those are all wonderful things. Those are things you can't buy. Money can't buy that. That's a direct result of a relationship with Christ provided us by the blood of Jesus. And we're so thankful today. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time we've had together. Bless it now.